Blog Talk Radio. Kids to see and, and no drug abuse and all this other stuff. 
um, then, you know, the parents who want to be good parents can certainly educate their children. And this is a topic that I'm going to choose tonight after I read the mission statement. Okay. We have a singleness of purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do two, two different ways of doing this. And number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and it does. Look what's going on in our streets. There's an example right there. Number two, offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to the adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now, one of these nights, I'm going to do a show on prevention, intervention, and recovery and explain each one and why each one is so very important. The prevention one is usually the one that I speak the most about, and there's a reason for that, okay? There's a reason for that. Um, <clears throat> we don't live in a world like we lived in many years ago, not that this didn't exist many years ago, with children disappearing and um, getting kidnapped and raped and, and all the other things that we speak about here on NASCA, because it did. But it's so much more now that it certainly is time for parents to wake up and say, okay, I have to educate myself so I can educate my children, all right? And just maybe that will help. Now, it was recently brought to my attention that people do not know the right age to talk to their children about pedophiles. I call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. I did see that movie years ago. Actually, the movie itself was hysterical. But good, bad, and ugly is another way of my way of saying about the type of world that we live in. We have good people. We have mm, sort of like bad people. And then we've got those that are downright ugly. So I call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. Now, I do want to make mention of our NASCA website because this article I'm going to be working from tonight, um, it actually comes right from our website. And uh, I do want to make mention also, too, of the fact that Halloween is coming, okay? Oh, boy. Hey, look, I like that stuff. <laughs> I like to go out and give kids candy and all this other stuff. However, um, the cartel, the, tra- the traffickers, were caught in Connecticut. You maybe have seen this on the news. I hope you have. Connecticut with over 15,000 pills disguised as nerd, nerds, and skittles. Now, I know my grandchildren and great-grandchildren, they love skittles. And uh, just ahead of Halloween. So, I mean, this is uh, the former DEA agent warns parents about the cartels. They're targeting our children. And it's flooding our streets like never before. Now, that's what I'm going to tell you about that. Um, So it's getting into, uh, you know, the children's candy and so forth. Uh, I may not even have um, Halloween this year. Because after hearing that, how do I know I'm not going to hand out something that might hurt someone? I mean, who would know, right? Um, so I don't like that. I'm going to have to give that some heavy-duty thought. Now, it's not just in the urban areas. It's everywhere because it's flooding our streets, okay? And that means everywhere. Now, on our NASCA website, 
we have uh, an, an, an article, it's more than an article, it's it, 10 Reasons Parents Don't Discuss Child Sexual Abuse. Once in a while I talk about this, and there's a reason for it, because so many people are afraid yet, even in this day and age, to talk to their children about child sexual abuse. Why? It should become another part of parenting. Yes, it is good to help children to learn how to cross the street. Stranger danger is nothing anymore compared to what's going on. But, yes, you teach your children not to take candy. Hey, it might be laced with fentanyl today. That's poison. Um, You know, so that's a good thing to do also. But to really sit down with your children once a month, once a month, and ask them how they're doing, how they're feeling, um, have uh, has anyone made them feel uncomfortable? They like to use that word, uncomfortable. Um, has anyone tried to touch them in their private areas or anything? And you say, the reason why mommy and daddy talk to you about this, or the reason that I talk to you if you're a single parent about things like this, is because I love you. And I don't want anyone to do what they shouldn't do to you. All right? So this is the reason why I chose this one for tonight, because it's so, so important that we, um, that we do help our children. I mean, that's just simply common sense. And, you know, a lot of people who are married, okay, they feel funny about it. They come up with all different reasons why they don't want to do it. And quite frankly, you're doing your children a disservice. So it's time now for us to be better parents and better grandparents. And those of us who know about child abuse, for God's sake, you should, um, you should understand this, all right? You really should, and, and should want to be a part of keeping your children safer. Now, this article, I keep calling it an article, but it was an article before it got onto our website, so that's okay, is by Jill Storvashevsky. She was a district attorney in New York City, and um, she put together this, um, and she worked actually in the prevention specialist. That's what she was. And she did it for 16 years. And she said, I have heard all the reasons why parents don't discuss child sexual abuse prevention with their children. I have heard them so often that I can recite them by heart. In honor of, and now this was for April, but it, look, child sexual abuse happens every single day. So it doesn't matter what month you put in there. But she decided she would be, or it would be a good idea to, you know, put the 10 reasons why parents choose not to discuss the subject. So I'm going to sort of like go over it, and um, Lori and I will discuss it. And then, of course, we're really going to discuss it because I have things that we need to say about it. So, um, and I'm going to tell you where you can find information right on our NASCA website that has to do with, you'll find this article, in fact, and and then also, too, you'll find with the uh, Missing and Exploited Children, they have videos out for kids. And that's very, very helpful, you know, to to children, and they like to watch the videos. They do it in such a way, <clears throat> excuse me, that it is absolutely kid-friendly, and uh, that's another way of helping to teach them. All right, so which, uh, this is sort of like a question-and-answer type thing, Lori. Children are seldom victims of sexual abuse. Yes or no? 
Oh, my God, really? <laughs> I know. Okay, I get this. This is perfect for tonight. Mm-hmm. Of course, children, they're the first ones everybody goes to. Children, because they're easy. They're easy mm-hmm. to pray. That's they don't right. know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. They don't know what's being done to them because they haven't lived long enough to see, you know, what's good touches or bad touches or to learn from anything. They're just too young. And that's what predators want. And they think by the time the kid gets older, they're going to forget who they were. So prime time is early, early age. That's why people have to talk just like you teach your kid to go to the bathroom or don't eat the cookies or let's start making our bed. Now, you need to get also another book going that discusses on a very young, young age this subject. It has to come yeah. out. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe that people are still that ignorant, Okay. To even come out where she would even come with a, a you know a question like that. What do you think? You know what I'm saying? All right. Number two is this kind of thing doesn't happen where I live. So let's talk about that. Now you have the urbanites. You have those who live in the country, the bumpkins, like me right now. I'm not a bumpkin. I just live in the country. And then you have those who live, eh, sort of like not quite city and yet not quite country. The suburban or suburbanites, I guess that would be, I don't know. And um, what do you think? Does it matter whether you live in any one of those places? I don't think so at all. It happens all over with everybody, every race. Everybody probably has something going on with a neighbor on their block, you know, this phone's. And it gets bigger and bigger, so you can't not see it. So, mm-hmm. you know, this happens all over. Yes, it does. And let's see, let's go to number three. We don't let our children go near strangers. People have this weird thing, you know, that if they don't let their children go near strangers, that they're going to be safe. Well, then why is the uh, abduction rate so high if uh, children are going to be safe? You know what I'm saying? Bill was kidnapped. I was kidnapped and raped, too, also. I mean, that's just a, a, a crazy, crazy thing to even think about. Okay, let's go to number four. My child is not old enough for this discussion. What do you think of that? Well, let me tell you something about that one. I was knee-high. You know, I understood exactly what I was not supposed to be seeing. And what I was supposed to be feeling when my father started with me. I mean, he started with me probably before that, but that's my earliest memory. Yeah, they grow up with it. And people are just too calm about it. I don't understand why. I mean, if it's a member of that family, you look after the kid. You have to let people know. I mean, you just can't keep it to yourself. But, yeah, people still do that. I have never figured it out why. You still just walk away. I'm not one of those people. No, me neither. I have a problem in my own family with that, Lori, because I try to tell, you know, I'm a great-grandmother, too. I love it. It's so much fun. But I try to tell my, my grandchildren, 
who know my past, okay, that this is something that you have to um, you have to know that it's the right thing to do to tell your children. And they come out with these goofy-ass answers, and I feel like shaking them because they should know better. And one of the goofy answers that they come out with is, you know, well, my, you know, my kids, I want them to stay, you know, normal. I don't want them to have to worry about it. I don't want to give them, you know, hard enough for kids to grow up as it is. Um, they don't need to be thinking about, you know, possible people, you know, chasing after them or whatever. Um, you know, they just don't get it, you see. And, and this is so horrible. The stats used to be, and I'm going to say used to be, one in four girls would be sexually abused by the time they were 18, and um, one in six or seven boys would be abused by the time they're 18. Now, the world in which we live today, those stats have changed. I've seen them enough now that I can actually say that. It's more closer to being one in three girls are sexually abused by the time they're 18, and these are the ones that we know about. Remember that. And uh, with the boys, it's more like one in four or five. So the stats have changed a little bit, and rightfully so. So if we don't teach our children about the good, the bad, and the ugly, what happens is these kids, like you said, and it's so true, are easy prey because the predators out there, they align themselves with jobs where they're around children all the time or they hang out in parks where children are being unattended, or they go to um, baseball games, softball games and for the girls, and, and, of course, football games in the fall, and they're checking out, you know, the kids. They're checking out the kids. And, and sometimes they may even become a volunteer. They want to volunteer their time. Oh, I play football well. I was really good in school. Let me help out and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And before you know it, someone gets attacked because they don't really check their background information well enough, okay? They may not do it at all in some places. They're just happy to get a volunteer, all right? So this is another problem. I wrote an article on this when I lived in Phillipsburg. It was for the um, the paper that went around once a week. We used to get these little papers that went around, little newspapers. Phillipsburg was considered a little city, and that was attached, you might say, to Easton, PA. It was like a hub of it. So we had enough people to have a little newspaper. So I, I wrote an article on it and uh, to make the, the school system aware that uh, you cannot, you know, have people as volunteers and not do some kind of background check on them. Now, background checks aren't always perfect either. Maybe they never got caught. Okay, but at least you've made the effort, and, and maybe somewhere in all that mess of volunteers who want to be around the children, um, you'll find some, you know. Then, and that's better than none. Finding none, okay, that that do actually have a, a, a record, or they're very iffy, or they're a suspect of, but maybe they couldn't quite prove it. Whatever. So it's very good for schools to, you know, really check that type of thing out. In fact, I think it's necessary. Um, and then uh, as far as speaking to the children, I have a couple things about this. My child is not old enough for this discussion, and is what she said. 
and her thought on this. Now, mind you, she's from New York, like like we are, okay? <laughs> and um, she says, actually, the appropriate age to begin the discussion about child sexual abuse prevention is when a child is three years old. Now, that was her gut feeling. Right? Don't forget, she worked in all the court systems and all kinds of things, so she saw everything. And this is her feeling on it. The conversation can start as simply as, did you know that the parts of your body covered by a bathing suit are private and are for no one else to see or touch? Now, that's the way she put it. It says, continue the conversations by explaining and to the child that he should tell mommy or daddy or a teacher if someone touches him in those private parts. Be sure to include any necessary exceptions for potty training. Some kids are still in potty trainings, like daycare centers, which I go to. Hygiene and, of course, doctor's visits. But we're saying, too, today that it's a good idea. It says doctor's visits. Well, I think the mother should be in there also. I don't know what she means by that. Of course, I would always want in with my children on doctor's visits. Okay, number five. I don't want to scare my child. Actually, when handled properly, children find the message empowering and are not frightened at all. Parents do not refrain from teaching traffic safety for fear of their child will be afraid to cross the street. So, too, should we address the subject of body safety. Now, it's every bit as important, and we as survivors know that. I remember when I was about 15 years old, I was laying in the uh, on a couch in the bed, or not the bedroom, in the, <laughs> in the living room, and my mother threw this book at me. <laughs> what a nut. And, and uh, the book was about sex, okay? And uh, instead of sitting down with him and talking to me, I had already been kidnapped and raped. Um, I lived in a pedophile house, and then all of a sudden she decides at the age of 15 she's going to throw this book at me. <laughs> Silly, all right? I laughed at her. I'm laughing right now thinking about it. But what we should do, as Jill suggests and as we survivors know, that um, there may not be a set time. Now, I read that in um, another article, which I'm going to discuss in a minute. But... Um, not all kids are the same. However, don't skirt around the issue. It's around three years old. When you know your child has understands the meaning of what you're saying, then um, there's nothing wrong with bringing that into their life because, you see, again, this is a better way for parents to bond with their children. You don't wait until a kid is 15 years old, throw a book at him, <laughs> and... Um, who's already been violated, doesn't even make sense, okay? So instead, you sit them down, and they suggest that you do role-playing. I have several people here that I'm going to mention, and I always ask permission first. But um, they, there's a certain way of, of uh, you know, for the parents to get comfortable, to get comfortable themselves, those who feel um, bashful, if you will, about speaking to their children about this very subject. So if they role-play enough and they'll feel comfortable and then they can sit their kids down when they feel like they're ready and talk to them about the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right. Um, so let's go to number six. 
I would know if something happened to my child. What do you think about that? I didn't know something had happened to my child, and it did. I found out. Um, oh, he was uh, second trip, I think, into the hospital. I'm not even going to name it, but it's a very well-known hospital. And there was no, they did a lot of damage to him, so I had to eventually take him to get everything checked out. And the doctor told me uh, the only way he could get this bad, and he was about ready to need surgery, is if he was raped. So in the car on the way home, I've always had a discussion going as my son has grown up on his level. So he wasn't always an intelligent kid. He picked up way faster than me. So I just naturally, it's always in the way you present it. Kami told him what the doctor said. Uh, we happened to be driving at the time, which I, <laughs> he wanted to know what I had to tell him. I'm not going to like whatever. I just commonly and calmly asked him. And then all of a sudden, this kid who doesn't talk about what happened to him when he was there, he says, the doctor's right, I was raped. So, yeah, it's horrible. I'm sorry, yeah, that that is awful. That's awful. So, you see, parents can't always tell. I mean, what are the signs of a child who's being sexually abused? We know, that which we have on our website also. Um, the signs of sexual abuse. If they're in daycare, if they're that young, if they're in daycare, um, many times they will go and rub against something because um, they've been rubbed against, okay? And I always have to tell people and remind them of the fact that God made us in such a way that our body responds to stimuli. So, you know, sometimes kids... Um, actually kind of enjoy it. And then, that, of course, the groomer, the, the abuser is saying, well, this is how I show you that I love you, okay? And kids don't know any different. They're little. And then you have kids who are older, too, that um, they're, they're being sexually abused. A lot of times it's at home. We know this. Big, the big eye for incest. And uh, certainly don't want to talk about it. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. They know that it's not right. A lot of them, most of them, and um, but they're walking funny, or or maybe they uh, with a, a little girl, you know, so it was about eight, nine, ten, eleven years old. Maybe she's uh, got a yeast infection. Um, there's all different kinds of things that can happen to children, and of course they verbalize things that they shouldn't be verbalizing because they learn it at home, and children are a product of what they learn at home. So if you have parents that, um, you know, curse a lot or parents who say the F word, or oh, I'm going to do this to you, whatever, whichever way they're saying to them, um, then they're going to come out with things that are inappropriate at an early age or even not quite so early. Maybe that's the way they speak because that's the way they speak at home. So you have the way they walk. You have the way they talk. Um, you might... Uh, find kids who are sexually abused who are ashamed, all all of a sudden they realize, hey, this isn't happening to my friend or the people that I know in school. So they start dressing funny. They feel dirty. I felt dirty. Um, When I was allowed to take baths and showers because of where I was living, 
um, I would scrub my skin until it would almost bleed, truly, because that's how dirty I felt. Um, Other kids will dress hiding their body, too much clothing on, because they they want to look unattractive. If they look unattractive, then they figure that no one's going to bother them in a sexual manner. Okay, we have children that do that. And then we have the opposite, where children will dress in a more sexual way. And and they have a little different type of attitude because they feel, hey, maybe this isn't so bad, you know, I kind of like it, and blah, 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 and he's showing me he loves me and all this other stuff. And uh, they'll be more in a sexual way because when they're at home and the abuser happens to be home, um, then maybe they put outfits on them. Okay, and, you know, so it's like they're playing at home, and then when they go to choose their clothing, they will choose, like, when mini skirts were in, which are back, okay? Everything comes back. Um, they they tend to, you know, get, you know, skirts that are too high and, and all this other stuff, so it might affect them that way. So it can be also a matter of um, the way they dress. So we're talking about speaking, dressing, and and then also, too, with little kids rubbing inappropriately, you know, against furniture or maybe even touching one of their little classmates or whatever. After all, they've been touched, you see. So these are just a few of the ways, you know, a few of the ways um, that um, children who are being, you know, abused at home or just plain abuse. It doesn't always have to be at home. We know this. It happened to both of us outside of home. I mean, come on. It doesn't always, I'm not always at home. So, you know, children um, tend to act out one way or another. They become too promiscuous if they're teenagers. They'll be um, out on the street, you know, and they don't care who they go to bed with or all this other stuff, putting it nicely, um, because they've been so used and, and so abused. So there's just all different types of ways. Um, then you have those who are cutters. They cut themselves. Um, and I had uh, someone we had on a few weeks ago. I asked before I got, came down with this bronchitis. I was on a Friday night, and I said, "How can? Why do people cut themselves? Certainly that has to hurt." And I've, I've read it before, but she explained it also too, that a person who cuts. Remember was when we had the doctor on. I take that back. Yeah. Dr. Romo, um, when they cut, um, somehow it releases, it, it's a psychological thing, obviously, but it releases some of the emotional feeling that they're feeling and psychological pain. So that's why they cut. I had a friend that cut herself all over the place, not trying to commit suicide, just cutting here, there, everywhere, just cutting, a little bit of cutting, cutting, cutting. And she was being terribly sexually abused. So then you have kids who have trouble with, um, you know, they have eating disorders. They go up and down, up and down, up and down, and wait, or maybe they're too, always too skinny, or or they're always too heavy, and uh, it's trying to feed the pain. And then of course it goes from what it goes to alcohol and drugs when they're teenagers, because you see. They're trying to mask the pain, and they're trying to make that pain go away. They're trying to numb themselves out. So then, therefore, they're going to 
you know, they're going to numb themselves with alcohol like I did, pills like I did. Some some of my friends are, were into heroin. I was not. I was scared of heroin, thank God. Two of them died right in front of me. And uh, I've said that before. And, and I had to run. I had to leave my friends dying um, on, on the ground. I couldn't do anything for them. They were foaming at the mouth. And um, the police were coming and, and all this other stuff. So you see... Child abuse is nothing to sniff at, okay? So we have sexual, we have physical, we have emotional, okay, and we have neglect. We have these abuses, physical, mental, sexual, emotional, and neglect. Five. Five abuses. Now, they say that emotional abuse is just about as bad as the sexual abuse, because um, a kid is never praised, um, they're told they're stupid, they're never going to amount to anything, um, they're left out, they're the black sheep, they're not a part of family functions, um, maybe their basic needs are not taken care of, not enough clothing, that's why they go out and they steal, <laughs> okay, like I did, and, and all this other stuff just to have clothing. All these abuses that we speak about on NASCA, um, it all encompasses all of the um, the way that children behave. It's, it's, it shows you why. It's pretty plain and simple if you think about it. What social workers need to do a better job at is to go into the home and, and don't come announced. Be a day early. Um, you know, knock on that door, hopefully they'll be home. And, uh, you know, oh, I got the day mixed up. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And then you're going to see what the kids really look like, <laughs> okay? Because I know in, in the places that I worked when the state came in to do their, um, you know, inspections and so forth, oh, my God, in the kitchen they were scrubbing the pots and pans like you've never seen before. Everything was, like, all shiny and brand new, <laughs> you know, and um, they made sure that there was order, all the floors were taken care of, all the, and the kids were, you know, um, they made sure that they were clean and, and uh, presentable and, and all this other stuff. And uh, over other places where it's psychiatric at Greystone, they did the same thing because this is what people do. So it's good to show up a day early and uh, where they don't quite expect you, and um, then you get a better idea of what's really going on in the house. And that's very important. And that can be taken back to court and decide what to do with that child or children. Um, and maybe you can get somewhere, get them in a better place, a better way of living. Okay, so okay, so that was number seven. My child would tell me if something happened to him. Um, actually, most children do not immediately disclose when they have been sexually abused. Contrary to a child who falls down and runs over to tell his parents, a child who has been sexually abused is likely being told not to tell anyone because no one will believe him. That people will say it is his fault. That the disclosure will cause great sadness in the family. And that the behavior is their little secret. And there's a lot to be said for number seven. This is what those children go through 
and it keeps their mouth shut. And, of course, then there's one missing here. If you do tell, I might kill you, or I might kill your mother, or I might kill your cat. God forbid. I'm looking at my cat. You might kill my dog. You know, whatever. Um, so they put the fear factor. That's something that should be in here also because that is a part, should be a part of number seven. So um, when when you have all these things going on, you're a child, you're being abused, and then maybe you, you realize that you're being abused, um, you have this to try and carry. It's a burden on a child. So it's it's a very, very bad thing for the psyche. A child may become very inward, or they might become then the opposite, very aggressive. I was in fights all the time in school. I told you how many noses I punched. <laughs> I don't know why I chose a nose. But, you know, they, they're either going to become introverts or they're going to be extroverts, and they're going to be either very quiet or they're just going to, you know, just say, screw it, I don't care, this is how I'm being treated, and end up getting in fights because maybe they're probably being bullied in school, and that was my case, and I had enough. All right? So that, too, is child abuse, if their needs are not met at home or wherever they're living. So when you tear this apart, number seven... When a child is sexually abused, is likely being told not to tell anyone because no one will believe him. That's so true. In a lot of families, if children tell, they're not believed. They don't. They don't want to hear it because that that draws a spotlight to the family. You know, it makes them feel like, you know, the family is bad and they don't want anyone to know it. That's why they used to sweep it under the rug and all this other stuff, as they used to say, or, or airing their dirty laundry. They'd rather not believe the kid, and still it continues on. That people will say it is your fault. I was told it was my fault when I was kidnapped and raped in New York. I got too close to the road. I got too close to the street. And if I hadn't been so close, I wouldn't have gotten yanked into the vehicle, okay? Well, I'm eight years old. I'm on my way to Coney Island. I love Coney Island. And um, my so-called father was on his way to pick myself and my brother up, and he was always late. And I got too close to the street, and that's what happened. Okay? I consider that more of a circumstance, and, and that's a pedophile. So they laid that on me, my mother and my stepfather. I didn't appreciate that. Um, the disclosure of all this is going to cause great sadness in the family. And, you know... We have to keep this as our little secret. See, they're more worried about the family, Lori, because I know in those days when I was kidnapped and raped um, in New York and Staten Island, they had my name in the paper. And that I didn't know they had my name in the paper, but my mother said, let's look in the paper, let's look in the paper and see if it's there. And sure enough, there was my name. And they, oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Uh, how about the kid? How about the kid? 
You see, this is what people do to their families, do to their children in the families who are abused, whether it be at home or at the outside, or if it's in home and the inside. Your name went into the paper in those days. Can you imagine how that makes the kids feel? Lonely. Very, very lonely. Take that on. I know in my house, I was the introvert. My brother was the extrovert that was so out there that you know, he should have been in jail at a young age or group home or some kind of institution. I mean, every neighbor knew, his teachers knew, they moved to our house. You know, but not one of them cared enough to do anything. So he didn't think too much of himself, and uh, he acted out. Yeah, did everything to everybody, and it just didn't have to happen if somebody, you know, would have taken him seriously. In our house, you know, it was like everybody but, no, including my sister, because my brother got her. So it was, you know, one didn't keep the secret from the other. We all know we, we were all getting abused, and we were the outcast family, so it's even lonelier, you know. But you got to get in, into this. I mean, signs are obvious. You know, kids in a way is going to enter um, preschool. A lot of them are from when they're born. You know, mothers after six weeks go back to work. So all this stuff can happen as they grow up. We all saw uh, horrible videos of it happening and whatnot. But when you throw away a kid, uh, either trying to keep it quietly, you know, in the family so you're not embarrassed and all this other kind of stuff, that, that's a true throwaway kid, and that kid is never going to feel good about himself until he learns that he's a gift, he or she, and finds the gift in them. Parents and predators, they'll screw up the minds of their victims. You know, I'm surprised that, you know, there's so, still so many people alive, and it's, the damage is so bad, you know, especially with the cutting and the suicide yeah. rate has all gone up and one that kids hate themselves and it all could have been prevented, you know. I'm one for getting as much information as you're giving tonight into the schools, into the PCA. Mm-hmm. Let them start mm-hmm. picking it up. They spend most of the time and they're trained teachers, so, hey, you know, put it as a course, but when you're thrown away and, you know, nobody cares and you feel worthless, you don't become anything. And it honestly happens way too much still. It does. It absolutely does. So when kids are told all these things, Lori, and, uh, you know, they, uh, they're exposed to keep quiet about it, so the burden of what it is that happened to them whether it be at home or outside of the home or both, like so many of us have had. I know I had, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. And um, you keep it as a secret. And then when society looks at it in a more of a socio-economical uh, and, 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 and other ways, um, you know, they look at it and they don't put money into the right places where kids can um, get the help that they need. I mean, it just destroys a child. It destroys their spirit. It does. And and a child either gives up, so that's why they cut, and that's why they do commit suicide. Um, 
when children, when their spirit is broken, like a person, I can't stand watching this on TV. That's disgusting. With the ASPCA, I have to turn the channel. I can't look at it. But, you know, when, when like, say, with the animals, when they're abused one way or another, you break the spirit of that animal. Look at the faces. I try to, but I can't. Last night I did, and I was so sorry I did. <laughs> this dog was outside, and he was frozen. He was freezing to death. It was in the wintertime. He was frozen. He couldn't even move his arms and legs. Okay? And, and the look on that poor animal's face. Well, you put a child who is being constantly abused, repetitively abused, day after day after day after day, um, they too are going to have that same look on their face as that poor animal because the spirit is broken. That's what happens. And that's why the suicide rate is so high because there's all kinds of things going on in the world there's all kinds of things going on, you know, in our country. There's all kinds of things going on in the homes. I mean, where does a child today get a break? Where do they get a break? They don't get a break. Where does anybody get a break? So when you have all these issues that we're living with, it just compounds what, you know, we would be living with without all of this stuff that we're living with today. It just, just magnifies it. That's why the suicide rate is so high. And right now, as far as adults, um, more men are committing suicide than, than women. Women are more apt to think about it, think about it, think about it, and they'll go and talk to someone, um, you know, talk to one of their friends or some of their friends, and their friends will talk them out of it, and uh, maybe they'll even go for help. And um, before they actually do it, they will try things. They're more apt to do that than a man because a man keeps his mouth shut and he internalizes all of the feelings that he has. And then what he does do, he doesn't unload on anybody because he doesn't want them to think that he's a wimp because he's a man. Let me see if Philip wants to talk. I don't know if he does or not. Let me see. Philip, do you want to listen, or do you have something you want to talk with with this? Um, well, you said the thing about introverts and extroverts. I was just wondering if, Carol, you are you an extrovert or are you an extrovert? Introvert or an extrovert? Me, myself, I, right now, I'm an extrovert. And I like being an extrovert. At one time, I was an introvert, and I internalized, just like I was just talking about, you know, all the things that were happening to me. And I would walk around my living room when the house was empty, <laughs> okay, and, and I would walk around the living room, and, and uh, I hate this one, I hate that one. I'm talking out loud, mind you. Walking around a circle so filled with anger and rage, and, and rightfully so, okay, um, that finally one day I just plain collapsed. I couldn't. I couldn't move. So then I had to find another outlet because that, if you want to call that an outlet, I um, started to run. I became very athletic. I was athletic, and uh, so I became a runner. And I used to jump the hurdles. Yes, I did. <laughs> I was very good, and won awards for that. 
and it was sort of like an outlet. So if too many things were going on in the house, because we always owned a lot of property, the driveway was so long, I could go up and down the driveway and feel like I ran around the baseball or for the football field, okay, if I did it several times easily. So um, I drop. So I started using that as an outlet. And then that didn't help that much either. So, you know, everything sort of like had its season with me. So as I turned into a teenager, that's when I got involved with the alcohol and the popping of the pills. And I ran away and, and uh, because certain family members wouldn't leave me alone and it was okay. And um, because stuff like this happens in families, that's always the things that I, answers I get when I complain. So I had to find something else. This is how people may go from one stage to another and even form a different type of thing that they do, whether it be cutting or drinking or popping pills or doing heroin or whatever it is, you know, that they do, and many times run away. There's reasons why people run away. Yeah. Did I answer your question? Yes. Okay, good. So let's go to number eight. We never leave our child alone with adults. Well, actually children, and this is what she's saying here, actually children can be sexually abused by other children. That's true. My brother was one of my abusers. The very same lessons that can be help prevent children from being sexually abused by adults can keep them safe from other children. In other words, if they look at it and think, I mean, no one wants to think that a sibling is, is an abuser, even a parent. Who would want to do that? But they know. Many times they know, sooner or later, maybe not at first. But the way that the child who's being abused starts to behave, then they see there's something wrong. Maybe they don't want to be near brother or sister. It can be even the other um, as much as they did before because of the way they're treating them. Now. It makes common sense, doesn't it? Okay. Um, there's a difference. There's a uh, in the air. There's a difference. The joy is starting to leave the child who's being abused. The joy. So you see, there is actually children. I once called down in Avalon, New Jersey. I won't say the name of the organization, but children who housed um, teenage pedophiles. And um, quite frankly, um, the lady didn't want to talk to me. I wonder why, <laughs> okay? But I did get a little bit of answers from her. And I, I did say, um, well, what is the success rate, you know, working with these teenage pedophiles? I don't know how most of them were boys, but there were a few girls in there. And uh, she said, well, it's not very high. It's not very high. It's not, not high. I mean, we were, and we're not sure even, she did tell me, that even when we release them, thinking that they're better or something, that um, they find out that they do the same thing over again. So that's not good. And I said, well, why? And this is in the middle of the next question. She hung up on me. So, <laughs> But at least I got that little bit of information, okay? So at least I have that. So when it speaks about in here... Actually, children can be sexually abused by other children. Um, you know, that's a very true statement. Could be the kid down the block. Um, could be someone in the home. 
or it could be, you know, someone that you don't even know. Um, I've had, I've known people where um, they just became the prey, if you will, P-R-E-Y, of pedophiles who were actually checking them out and then all of a sudden walking home from school. She got attacked and she didn't even know these kids. She was like, um, I believe she was a freshman. They were like juniors or, or seniors, somewhere in there. So you never know when it's going to happen, okay, with the um, the adult children, almost adult children, which is so silly, Philip. You go to sleep, you're 17 years old, right? You're a kid. And with a boy, you wake up. I went with a girl, too. You wake up, and the next day you're 18, and all of a sudden you're an adult. I never did understand that. But, you know, that's what they do. That's what they say. So at least for the law, for the sake of law, if it's exercised as far as, uh, you know, rape is concerned, I would rather that 18 years old would go to jail rather than just go to juvie because I worked with them over there in detention. We have police officers there because they committed adult crimes. So you see, it's silly in a sense, but you take a 17-year-old kid who turns 18 and then all of a sudden that kid goes into services and he's treated as a man. They're not really grown up yet. But the actions, the actions of a pedophile is well-formed. They know this by the time they're 15 years old. They may not abuse someone because they don't want their peers to find out about it because then they'd be considered, you know, an outcast and and then they'd be beaten up and all this other stuff. Um, But I don't know how long they can, I can't say with all authority or anything, how long they can control those urges. And some of them, of course, can't. That's why you have right here where they're abused by kids who are kids yet. So there you go. It says, um, what does it say here? Oh, yeah, teach children that touch is appropriate and what is inappropriate. Well, that makes sense. Um, I think that's something that we should be doing to our children, you know, telling them what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. So they have something to to look at and say, hey, this kid just touched me here. And and that's not appropriate. That's what mommy and daddy said. You see, you're building a bond with your parents because they're guiding you. And you have something to work with as a child. And they need to be taught that. And teach them the proper terminology. Now, here she says, teach them the proper terminology for their private parts and teach them who they can talk to if anyone touches them in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable. Well, that should be their parents. That's sort of step number one, if the parents have done what we spoke about earlier. Kids should be able to go to their parents and say, hey, look, this is what happened. And if you're the type of parent or parents that have already started this exercise of teaching your children what's right, what's wrong, and why, okay, always that why in there, that way there's no question, no question. Um, then, you know, kids know that they can go to their parents and they will be believed because part of what we teach here at NASCA and other places as well um, is that the parents will believe. And according to the statistics, if it becomes a court case, okay, it can get really nasty and all this other stuff. 
Um, but they still say that 98 point something percent of children are not lying. They're not lying. It happened. Because sometimes you'll get, you know, when it comes to parent control and, and um, parent who has maybe custody, he, he or she could be the offender. And they say, now, when you get into that courtroom, if they use the child, God forbid, um, make sure you don't say this and make sure you don't say that. That's the only little tiny percentage where at times where children um, will not tell the whole story, okay, that they found out. So 98 point whatever is a big number that they're telling the truth. Okay, let me get back to this. That was number eight. Now, earlier in this, she kind of contradicts herself because she's talking about parents talking about the bathing suit area, and now she's talking about the proper terminology. Well, we speak about the proper terminology in half of the last 13 years that I've been on this show. Vagina is a vagina, and a penis is a penis. The head is the head, your shoulders, your breasts, your stomach, your your vagina, or your um, or your penis, your knees, and you say it all in the same tone when you're speaking to your children. You don't giggle when it comes to the personal body parts. No, you don't do that. It's a part of your body. My body belongs to me. Okay. So one of the um, and she has a whole thing on on how to you know speak to your children. This was on Facebook, by the way. Someone had asked this, "What is the right age?" And that's what got me to this article I'm with right now. I don't want to put thoughts in her head. Worry. I don't want to put thoughts in her head. Thoughts about what? Oh God! I mean, yeah. when they turn, when they turn you out, like my mother did to my father, <laughs> and you know how young <laughs> I was. It's like I didn't want to think those things, you know. <laughs> and they they decided for me, and I really resented that, and I got insulted, and I got you know totally hysterical, of course, you know, along with that. But since mm-hmm. we're born with the brain and we react either in at one year old or twenty one years old, we still have that brain. Um, right. Being like handed over, you know, put out like that, with no protection. Um, don't talk to you ever about it. I never had any kind of discussion with my mother and she's like ninety three years old, I found out. Never discussed anything with me. Mm-hmm. What I could have said, because I had to hold all that stuff inside me, there was no other child. Um, if I could have put that into words, and that would be like exactly like what you said. You know, you grow and you change your wording, but you fit it in as a everyday discussion type thing when it comes to that. And the kid will feel comfortable coming to you with it. And God forbid anything happens to the kid. I don't know if they have to come to you. They're not at least stuck in their own heads going, oh, no, I can't tell anybody, you know, because this is like, I don't know, and I think it's, it could be my fault. Maybe they're going to be mad at me or, you know, I did something or, or the guy or girl or whatever. This world is, is just, like, totally crazy. Um, we'll say, you know, that, yeah, I'll tell them, you know, exactly what happened. And the kid believes them because of their age and, 
doesn't matter mm-hmm. when they're a teenager, because teenagers, I've experienced my brother, he was a teenager, only a younger kid, and every, everybody knew, yeah, they just let it happen, but he was one of those, so I got to watch how that go- went, I mean, it's just not right, and the best way to do is to communicate to your kids. His parents, no matter whatever, are still the ones responsible for telling you this stuff because they had to. Well, you know, you see, now you said something there, too, that is so, so important. Because when kids find out about other kids who have been sexually abused, a lot of times they're not kind. We know this. Because I remember I went to PS26 in... um, in Travis, that was my school, PS26 in Travis. I think today it's probably a museum, but we won't go there. <laughs> anyway, PS26 in Travis. <clears throat> but I remember because they put it in the newspaper, and, and it had all weekend, all weekend for people, you know, the adults to read the newspapers. Hey, look what happened to Carol. Woo-hoo-hoo, all right, whatever. And... Uh, this school was overcrowded, horribly overcrowded. They're in the process of building um, new schools because a lot of the Brooklynites were coming out to Staten Island at that time. And they didn't have enough uh, schools to house all the different grade levels. So it was really, really hard and difficult because you were, like, mushed in like sardines with kids who were younger, kids who were older, and all this other stuff. But when I remember walking up the steps to get into my school, I went to the front door. Now, this is one time my brother was a brother. Because he didn't start sexually abusing me for another year after that. Isn't that nice? But the point is this. When I had to go into that school, I walked into that school, and all the kids... A whole bunch of kids, it's like they formed two lines. I swear to God. I'm walking down the center of the lines, and they're laughing at me, and they're pointing at me. Well, you can imagine the humiliation that I felt. This is how my school kids that I went to school with felt about it. It's not funny. Nothing funny about it. Now, I'm not unique. This happens to a lot of kids. If they don't keep it undercover, you know, if they don't, um, you know, keep the names out of it, we don't have papers anymore, but the point is, you know, it's better not to bring the child's name into it so that when they're going to school, because you have that element of children who are going to think it's funny and they're going to point and laugh at you, all right? They're not going to be helpful. I did see a few kids that looked sad. And you said something much earlier on. I had a really good friend, a really good friend when I went to that school. And she and I were inseparable. Every day we were together after school, you know, whatever. And when that incident happened, I lost my friend. She wasn't allowed to hang out with me anymore. So not only did I lose a friend, and my, pa- my my name was in the paper all over the place, okay, 
and then you're being mocked at school. Again, this is why kids commit suicide. This can be, you know, if it's not handled properly, if it's not handled properly, then this is what can happen. And if you have parents that are blaming you, well, you didn't listen. You you went past a certain spot in the driveway. I'm eight years old. And CPS did become involved, and they said, why weren't you watching her? Eight years old is not 15 years old. It's eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. See how fast you can count to eight? You're still a kid. Especially when you're getting ready to go to Coney Island, which to me was like uh, Disneyland, all right, whatever. (laughs) So when kids go through all of these things, where their spirit does get broken. Now, either you get real tough and rough like me, because I said, like I said to Philip earlier, um, you know, at one he asked me, was I like an introvert or an extrovert? Well, at first I was an introvert because my abuse started when I was six with a pedophile uncle that I had to live with. So it started from six, and I became very, very introverted. I didn't tell anyone. I was scared to death, and I had to live there. I didn't know where my mother was. I didn't know where she lived, and I certainly didn't know where my so-called father was, except I was told he was out in California. Um, So when you carry all these burdens with you, um, it's very hard to have joy, and that's why kids many times do because they retreat, they go backwards. Um, with little little kids like in daycare center who have been potty trained, they'll start peeing their pants again, things like that, or and peeing in their bed, and and so forth and so on. They they regress, they go backwards. Kids who are a little bit older, um, they become you know introverts. You know they they introvert. They just want to be left alone, and they walk with their head down, down. I would leave the courtyard at school, and um, I would go to the candy store. <laughs> I'm so bad. The heck with my lunch, I wanted candy. So I had money, and I'd walk down the street, because you were allowed to leave the courtyard in those days. And I'd go down, and I'd get a big bag of malted balls. And, oh, my, Lori, you talk about candy that's so good. Oh, my God. It would melt in your mouth. So um, I'd go back to school, and, and uh, you know, I did that like three times a week, and, and I would, like, um, try to share with the kids, thinking that maybe they'd like me better or whatever. Didn't do any good. They just ate my candy. <laughs> but so the point is when children don't have backing from adults or family members, they have nothing. So then I became like a maniac. I was in fights all the time. And uh, it, it started there, and it worked after we got out of New York and moving back into New Jersey because we were going back and forth, back and forth, stupid. So um, it followed me for years that I became a tough person. And I do believe, I do believe with me, I can't speak for other people, okay, but I do believe with me that that was actually a helpful thing, that I became tough and rough. It helped to keep me centered. I don't know. I don't know. So that's what happens. That's how that's how it changes. Number ten. 
Um, oh, it's a little bit more here. It says on number nine. Oh, yeah, here's exactly what I was talking about. Actually, there is no data to indicate that a child who has been taught about child sexual abuse prevention is more likely to, to fabricate that they have been sexually abused. According to Victor Vietz, that's his name, V-I-E, <clears throat> excuse me, T-H, director of the National Child Protection Training Center, um, children do lie, but seldom about being abused. See, they keep their mouths shut, or, or, they, or they talk the truth. All human beings can do lie. I mean, that's just what we do at times, white lies. Oh, that was just a little white lie. But it's hard for kids to do that about sex and about sexual abuse. That's why the stats are so hard where it says 98 point whatever. Tell the truth. It's hard for kids to do that about sex. They can't lie about something they have no true knowledge of. Here we go with the age factor again, too. But true knowledge of. And children don't learn about oral sex on Sesame Street. So what they're saying there, again, with the acting out, there may be comments that are being said in school, say, um, children who uh, have to perform, say, oral sex, as she mentions here, they might all of a sudden, you know, start acting weird or saying something weird, and, and that's where you get your information from, by the behavior. That's why they have behavior modification. The behavior of a child, okay, you can tell. Okay, number 10, it's not going to happen to my child. Oh, Really? I'm kind of like dealing with that in my family. They don't want to believe it. It's not going to happen to my child. Hmm. What do you got to say about yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I honestly did believe that. Um, still, one of the uh, girls that I hung out with before um, I even you know, really knew, she, my kid was in diapers and she said that you know, the pagans, it was it was definitely them, would love him. And I thought nothing like that would ever happen to him. And it turns out, yes, it did happen to yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. And there was nothing I could do because I didn't know what they were doing to him while he was away from me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a hard thing. You know, so often, now, look, you and I are bikers. We love bikes, all right? I love bikes. And um, I got in with them, too. <laughs> but I'm laughing because after I saw we went to this meet, this meet in, in um, PA, um, when I saw things that were going on, I'm not going to go be into specifics here, but when I saw things that were going on, I didn't like it, and I didn't want to be the next one to have to go through all that, okay? So uh, I was I was able to break away from that, thank God, because, um, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are bikers and they're nice people. They don't have to be, you know, gang members and, and things like that. They don't have to be. But you see, a lot of times that's a generational thing, too. Don't forget, whether it be the pagans or the hell's angels or whomever other bikers out, out there, 
um, it's a generational thing. And a lot of the uh, things that you see um, or know about or find out about by word of mouth, whatever, um, happened to their parents. You know, they, they grew up in to this type of, of a lifestyle. So they have their, you know, initiations, they have this, they have that, and all this other stuff. So um, I wasn't going to be a part of their initiation. <clears throat> so <laughs> I uh, <clears throat> walked away from that. We'll just leave it at that. And um, so I get it. So you see, um, what you're speaking about is, is well known, you know, in the biker community. And um, and also, too, I feel sorry for the kids that have to be involved with that as well. And that's exactly what does happen, and that, that's a shame. Yeah. So I'm going to go to um, number 10 here, um, which I had gone to, but I want to finish it. If one were to ask any parent whose child has been sexually abused, if they thought their child would ever be sexually abused, I can guarantee each one would probably say no. No one wants to believe this could happen to their child. We need to stop denying that could happen and recognize that there are ways to prevent it from happening. That's where our prevention comes in. That's what this show is about, prevention, intervention, and recovery. And my my favorite part is the prevention part because if society in the neighborhood, neighborhoods and in, in cities or urban areas, and not even in urban areas, if they would only get more educated one way or another um, about what they could do to maybe help, you know, prevent, you know, kids from being abused. Now, we do have our laws now. They're getting better. Um, some years ago they had no laws, but today they do have laws. And many states are looking at, if you know something, if you know a kid down the block is being beaten up or whatever, and you don't say anything, then you're held accountable also, and you can be fined or put into jail or both. Depends probably of the severity of the situation. And also to where you live. And some other things that I won't talk about. Because <laughs> that would be political. Okay. So make the decision to talk to your child about sexual abuse, prevention. It could be the greatest gift you ever give them. And that is the truth. Now, just maybe, just maybe, if someone had said <clears throat> to me, I've already been sexually abused because I was over six years old, eight, going on nine, whatever, when I was kidnapped. Um, but if someone had said to me, hey, Carol, remember, you know, what happened to you at Uncle Cliff's house and all that stuff? This is why I don't want you to go down close to the road, okay, down the street down. One end was Victory Boulevard. The other end was Signs Road. We owned all that property in between. So the driveway was long. So this nut knew that he could pick me up at one end, drop me off at the other end, and I'd get home. And like you and I have spoken about before, they were florists, my mother and stepfather, and people before my stepfather, family. Um, he probably came in and, and bought a plant or something once <laughs> and gave it on to his wife, and he saw where the house was, Virtue Boulevard, Signs Road. So that's why he could pick me up down there at Signs Road, 
and he dropped me off at Victory Boulevard, knowing that I'd get home. He was not a murderer at that time anyway. Some of them don't turn into murderers. Others do. At that time, he was a serial rapist, kidnapper, and believe me, that was bad enough. Okay, now, Bill, I haven't even spoken to him. I know he's working, but... Hi, Carol. Hi. Are you happy that I'm using NASCA stuff? Of course I am. Of course, of course. <laughs> I've, been work, I've been working, but I've been listening to the show, too. Okay, that's good. I think it's a very yeah. good show. I'm trying to inform a lot of people here about things. And no, how, also, the, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, her, her uh, work is really, is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we mm-hmm. and we should feel free to use it. I know she'd be happy if we use it. Oh, I'm anyway, sure she would. Oh, yeah. I would love to have her back on the show again sometime. Oh. And uh, no, so we talk we about can. that. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason we can't. Right. Give me the information. I'll contact her. But um, anyway, I want to um, also speak about, you, you can go back to working if you want, but um, on our website, now this is what I want people to know because we're coming to the end of the show real quick here all of a sudden. Oh, my God. Um, on our website, okay, if you go over, to um, not the very last red block, as I call it, but going to protecting our kids. That right, that's right next to the red block on the right-hand side, the last one. You click on to that, and you will find prevention and intervention. Click on to right. that. And it teaches you, if you scroll down, I have here written down a third of the way because I measured it, but it starts telling you how you can speak to your children about sexual abuse what to look out for, right. about their bodies, right. all the different things that children need to know. Yeah. Now, I happen to, yeah, and, and how to talk to your children. Because I saw that on our Facebook where someone had said that they were uh, abused and how shall I talk my children, what should I say, what shouldn't I say. I would love to contact that person, but I got sick and I didn't. So, But I'm saying, hoping maybe they're listening tonight or they'll listen later. But I just, if you need to, you can call me. I'm on the contact list. I'm Carol Levine. And um, I'm the night owl. I gave myself that name. Yes, I am, because that's what I do. I answer phone calls in the a.m., and that's okay. Um, But it teaches you all about prevention. And I think prevention is just something that is so much in my mind to teach people so that they can teach their children to help, you know, keep them safer. We can't stop it. Uh, You will not hear me say stop child abuse now. You hear me say stop child abuse now show because that's what it is. Abuse has been along ever since long before even our ancestors. This isn't anything new. But what is getting better is our recognition of it because it shows like what we have here and, and other shows. And then the very fact that they're talking about it now on TV, I don't care if it's political or not, they're talking about it, <laughs> okay? And, and so things are coming out. And um, so that's a good thing. So those who didn't know about it are learning about it one way or another. This is a good thing. But now they have to learn what to do, how they can become proactive. And we need for them to become proactive. And if that does mean for the laws to say, you know, you're going to go to jail if you don't report uh, when you know something horrific is happening down the street, 
Because some states are looking at that. I don't know exactly how many. I have to look it up. But I do know that people are talking more now. So anything that we can teach our children will make them safer. It can't hurt them. Okay? So if you go to the NASCA website, over to the next to the last one on the right-hand side of those red blocks, each one has a topic in it, and you click on to Protecting Our Kids, that's the one, and then you'll see Prevention and Intervention, and just scroll down, and you will find all different kinds of information, and that is so, so important. And then also, too, uh, really quick, if I have time to get this in here, um, uh, no, that's about mental illness. I've already done that one. Maybe I don't have the right paperwork. Um, but also, too, oh, the National Centers for Missing and Exploited Children. If you think a kid is missing, you can call the police department, of course, or, and you should also let the 1-800-849-5678. And I called that number today. That's the Missing and Exploited Children number. I want to make sure they're still existed at that telephone number, 1-800-843-5678, okay? Um, and they have things for children that are all kinds of um, videos that you can watch, and it's called NetSmart, teaching children ages 5 to 17 about online safety, and that's something to know, too. And also the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children um, have all kinds of information to offer parents. Um, and one of the things that they offer, you scroll down a little bit once you get to the, that website, is knowing my rules for safety. And this is, of course, the missing and exploited children, okay, I'm speaking about here. Prevention intervention, how to talk to you. They mention this too. How to talk to your child or children about sexual abuse. And that's from Together We Heal, and that's from David Pittman. We have this right on our website. This is on our website. Prevention intervention, how to talk to your child about sexual abuse from Together We Heal, okay, and that's .org, Together WeHeal.org, and that's David Pittman. He teaches parents really how to talk to their children, and I like that. So I will, and I asked him once before if I can use that, and he said, no problem, just say where it came from. Okay, I did that. So um, we do know that every 40 seconds, it might be more now, that a child goes missing. Over 2,100 a day in the United States, we're talking about in the United States here, and uh, the rest of them, I might think that's a little bit off, so I'm not going to read those stats because I think it's increased. But if you want to look up the Justice and Delinquency Prevention Program, Justice and Delinquency Prevention Program, they'll give you a lot of stats, and uh, you'll find out even more than what we spoke about tonight. So anyway, the show is going to end in, in about a few minutes, I think. What time do you have? Oh, we've got seven minutes. We've got seven minutes, by God, I think, or maybe six minutes. So, Lori, is there anything you want to say? Um, this is a very informative show. Um, it went really well. You know, you gave out at a really good rate of speed um, everything that uh, you could start with, 
anything you could think of you know, came up tonight. I think you should do more shows like this. I think it's necessary. If we're going to have a safer child, okay, and if society does what they're supposed to do and, and listen and, and want safer children and understand that $150 billion, that's the industry, okay, for trafficking. That's how much they make a year, $150 billion. That's crazy. They said that on TV about um, about a week ago now. So I quickly wrote it down because if I hear a stat, and it's current, I'm going to write it down real quick. So um, it's disgusting. That's what it is. So those children that go missing, okay, you can double everything of the stats that we had at one time because you have to understand the children who are coming across into our country, a lot of them are supposed to meet, you know, relatives. They are. I feel sorry for these kids. They're supposed to meet someone on the other side. So the people from all the different countries that are involved in this, where they're coming through, um, they pay the cartel to bring their children through and to get them involved with their family members. But they don't make it. So many of them don't make it. And and that's a very, very, very bad thing. In the month of March, it was very bad, from what I understand. Um, even the Border Patrol expected a certain amount of people and understood that some had relatives and all sort of stuff, many of them, who were going to be meeting them, and they didn't show. And that's because they didn't make it. So you see, factoring in all those kids, for God's sake, how are you going to even do that? It's, it's very hard to come up with a, a number that's totally accurate about children who are missing. All right, yes, they weren't from our country, but they were going to be in our country, so maybe you can say it that way. But what the stats that I just read are the ones who are missing, you know, and the the, the industry making $150 billion a year uh, is absolutely outrageous and disgusting. Think about what good that money could do for our country, for our children, for mental illness. At one time, we had over 12,000 um, hospitals and satellite divisions in our country. And what have they done? They've closed them down. There's only like 12,000. I, I, it's ridiculous. I read the uh, stats for that one time when I did a show. And... Um, so they shut down all those people who are mentally ill. You know, they shut down the programs for them, the hospitals and all that other stuff. And what happens to them? They end up out on the street. Anyone who watches the news, I don't care what channel you watch, if they show it, um, you see a lot of people out on the street, and um, many of them, not all of them, it's not just about drugs, all right, but um, many of them are mentally ill, and then they have all these drugs on top of it all, and uh, I saw this guy doing a weird dance the other day. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, it was sickening. It was a weird dance, okay? I'm not sure what he was doing. I think he thought he was a dog, but I'm not sure. It was weird. So, you know, this is this is the world that we're living in right now. So everyone, I think, has the responsibility, whether they be a parent or whether they be teachers, 
the, the professionals in the, in, the, in the field of doctors or whatever, all right, to, um, to educate and be a part of this problem. We need leaders in this country who are going to change things back to where they were three years ago. That's all I'm going to say, okay? Even think about that. So in these past few years, there's been so much trouble of all different kinds. And um, people are getting fed up, okay? I know I'm fed up. I'd like to see some good news, wouldn't you, Lori? I definitely would. I know. Very sad to watch it. I actually shy away from it if I can. A lot of people are doing that now. They're, they're, They're just so fed up. But because I was brought up in a political family, and I again, you either like it or you don't like it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And um, that's why I, you know, keep up with it because I am a part of it. I, uh, you know, I had a mayor in the family and all kinds of silly stuff. So anyway, okay, we got the 90-second cue here. So I, I'm hoping that there are a lot of people who listen later. I mean, I know it's Friday night. You want to go out and do what you do and all this other stuff. Or maybe you just want to watch a really nice movie. I don't know, at home, whatever. But I hope you listen. You know, this is scan number 32, 35 on NASA. And uh, I hope we uh, were able to, you know, help you here. I want to thank Philip for coming on. He asked a couple of good questions. And, um, of course, my Lori and, and Bill. And uh, we'll be back again on Monday, okay? So take care of yourself. Watch yourself, um, and don't walk alone. That's one of the biggest things they're saying now. Don't walk alone, okay? It's not a good idea. Okay, especially in the urban areas. Good night, and God bless. Okay, very good.